open it to that little book of Obadiah, flick, 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 before Jonah after Amos. And we're going to finish off our little two-trip journey and school holidays through this book. But let me pray before we uh, start. Father, open your word to us through your prophet Obadiah. Help us to see our place in your promises and purposes and convict us by your spirit, even again anew, to conform our will and behaviour to your promise and your purpose, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, I don't know if you've noticed, it's in your bulletin, but today is a big birthday day in the life of our church. There are five people who are having their birthdays today. Uh, one of them is down the front here, Mr. Mark Wetzler. It's his birthday, so make sure he, he won't mind you giving him a happy birthday afterwards, just gently. But um, I believe Sadash Sharifi, who's overseas at the moment, uh, Evelyn, Ruby, Bronte, I haven't, don't know if any of them are here, but it's all their birthdays today. So it's a big day it's because, you see, it's their special day today. We say that, don't we? It's their special day. Did you know that God has a special day? Well, Christmas, right? Well, sort of. Or you might say, well, Easter, sort of. They're partly God's special day, but God's special day is actually mentioned many times in the prophets and it's called the Day of the Lord. It's God's day, the day of the Lord. And it's special not because everybody says, yay, God, it's your special day. It's special because God will be active in final intervention in this world to wrong or to right all wrongs, to bring a day of justice and vindication. On the day of the Lord, God's enemies will recognise his rule and authority and submit. God will establish his kingdom and rebellion and resistance to his rule will be overthrown. The day of the Lord, God's special day, is bigger than your birthday. It's bigger than Pano life. It's the ultimate goal of human history. It's the day of reversal. On that day, the mighty and the powerful and the proud will be brought low and the humble and the needy who turn to God in repentance and faith, they will be lifted up. Now, you get ready for Christmas. David mentioned that already. You get ready for a 21st. You get ready for a baby being born. You get ready for a wedding. But are you ready for God's special day, the day of the Lord? Because on that day you will either be with the people of God, part of his kingdom, or you will be his enemy in rebellion. You'll either be brought down or lifted up. In this little book of Obadiah, this little prophecy, we meet two nations, primarily two nations, Edom, descendants of Esau, and Israel, descendants of Jacob, Abraham or Israel. They have two different futures. Edom, we're told, is not ready for the day of the Lord. Last week we saw, if you were here, that they are a proud nation they trusted in false securities. They exalted themselves over their brother because they were related through ancestry. 
they exhorted themselves over their brother nation Israel when the Babylonians came and destroyed Israel and overthrew the city of Jerusalem. Edom rejoiced on the sidelines and profited it. Like their ancestor Esau, they rejected God's promises and didn't care about God's purposes. And so in verses 1 to 14 of this prophecy, the Lord says, Though you soar like an eagle, though you think you have hope and a future and that you are secure, you are going down. You will lose the lot, Edom. And Israel, this nation of Israel, though it would appear externally, despite outward appearances, that they are smashed, they have a future and they have a hope. You see, the problem with Israel is they were just like Edom, like all of us. The nation of Israel were proud. They trusted themselves. They rebelled against God's rule and God's word, even though he had blessed them. And so God humbled them. In a sense, the day of the Lord for Israel came earlier. They were brought down as the Babylonians came in and destroyed their city. Jerusalem, the city walls were torn down. The temple, the palace were destroyed. The people were taken into exile and outwardly, It appeared as if Israel had no hope, no leader, no centre, no security and therefore seemingly no future. It was over. The one thing that Israel had, their only hope, was the promises of God. See, God had told Abraham that he would bless the entire world through his descendants, through his seed, that they would have a land and they would have a nation And that they would be a blessing. That he would restore the kingdom. God told King David, a descendant of Abraham, the the second king of Israel, he said, I am going to establish through your descendants an everlasting kingdom. There would be a king, one of your sons will reign. There were these great promises. And though Israel, though seemingly completely defeated, could stand by faith on those promises and be secure on the day of the Lord. This series, Standing on the Promises, we see the same pattern in Ob- as we see in Obadiah. And really the options are the same. Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Despite outward appearances, despite how successful you may appear at the moment, despite how much you may feel I'm being humbled and I've lost everything. Will you stand on the day of the Lord and what will you put your hope in? The people of God will stand because they humble themselves and they put their hope in what God has promised to do and what he has already done for them. And those who trust in themselves, those of this world, like Edom and like the Babylonians that they supported, who reject God and who rebel against his promises and his rule, they will fall. One of the things we see in this prophecy of Obadiah, and we see this in many of the prophets, that there is a judgment or a promise spoken and it has a near-term fulfilment. But it also looks beyond that to a a far more distant horizon, a more ultimate fulfilment 
on, in this case, that great and dreadful and hopeful final day of the Lord. See, the day of the Lord will be a day of justice. Wrongs will be righted. Rebellion will be overthrown. God will fulfil his promises. It's both hope and threat. We meet it in verse 15. He's warned Edom, you're going down. Then he says, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. It's for all people. It's not just for Edom and Babylon this day of the Lord. And it will be a day when what you've done will come back to you. There will be no escape. Now, Edom and Babylon danced on Israel's grave when Jerusalem was sacked in 587 BC. They thought that the Lord himself had been overthrown because Yahweh, God's name, the temple of the Lord, we've smashed it to pieces. This God means nothing. Is a nothing. We are reigning. Verse 16. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. You've probably heard the phrase, I think Lord Acton it's ascribed to, but it may go back earlier, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's a truism, an axiom. Power is intoxicating. You get drunk on power. Don't think that you're above it. You are given a measure of power one way or the other. Somebody is suffering, somebody is under your control and you have the power over them and they, you push them aside. You get rid of them. You throw your weight around and it's irresistible. And so you say, I have to do it again. Actually, it's my right, it's my duty because I have power. And I need to do this and I have power and people fall beneath you. And it goes to your head and pride kicks in and you can't stop and you don't want to stop and you end up getting drunk. Just another one. Just another one. It's getting good. Let's have another one. And power takes over in an orgy of conquest, which is fully deserving because you're in control. You're the boss. That's the way it is. Until one day you fall over in a drunken stupor. You're brought down by your own folly and your own vice. You collapse in a heap as others around you start to behave the same way and respond to your power in the way that you exercised your power. And I wonder if that's what's happening in the West today. Led by the USA. We've been in control, had so much power. So used to it, it's our right to rule. It's our right to throw our weight around. And we just get drunk on power. Can't even see it. Just like Edom. Just like Babylon. Just like the nations. 
Just as you drank, the Lord says, on my holy hill, just as you stomped all over my people, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and then be as, they ha- as if they had never been. They are going down. See, God is going to step in on his special day. When we get to the end of the Bible, we have this book of Revelation, a vision that the Apostle John sees. It's full of imagery and symbolism. It's got these wild, wild stories in it. But what Revelation is doing is painting a picture, I think in somewhat surreal terms, of God's reality, of present reality and of future reality in God, from God's perspective. In chapter 17 to 19 of the book of Revelation, we meet Babylon, the world city, the world power, the great empire. And she is portrayed as a prostitute, She's attractive and she's seductive and she has lots of power. She is the mother of this world. She is impressive and everyone is sucking up to her. Babylon, chapter 17 of Revelation, verse 3. The angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. I told you it was wild. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. This beast she's sitting on with heads and thorns, it's symbolism of all the kings and all the powers of this earth that serve her. And together they're getting drunk with their power. They're getting drunk on the suffering of God's people the humble and the lowly. They are Babylon of Obadiah. They are Edom of Obadiah. They are the nations. The day of the Lord is coming against them because judgment will fall upon Babylon and all who are attached to her, all who are feeding off her. In chapter 18, in verse 13 to 18, we read of chapter 17, These nations, they have one purpose and they give their power and authority to the beast and they will wage war against the Lamb, which is Jesus, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings and with him will be called those chosen and faithful followers. The angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. The beast with the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin. Do you see this? The beast is bringing the prostitute down. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over the beast to their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. 
The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. In other words, they're going to eat themselves up. The beast, all these rulers who feed off Babylon, they're going to rebel against Babylon and they're all going down together. Chapter 18 is the fall of Babylon. The mighty voice of the angel shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling of demons, a haunt for every impure spirit, for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins pile up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give to her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as a queen. I am not a widow, I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death and mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord who judges her. Can you see it's the same message as Obadiah? Far more graphic and longer. God is on the throne. Those who rebel against him, they will bring themselves down as they dance in their drunken revelry of power and conquest. Babylon, Edom and the nations will fall. They will drown in their own vomit. The day of the Lord is coming. But not just as a day of judgment, it will also be a day of restoration and renewal. It will be a day of righteousness and fulfilment because on that day God will clear the decks. And God will exalt his people and bring them into their promised inheritance. He will start again. New heavens and new earth, even a new Jerusalem. There will be glory in his kingdom. So if we go back to Obadiah, verse 17, we've just read about everyone getting drunk and falling down in their own vomit, so to speak. But on Mount Zion, this is Jerusalem, will be deliverance, salvation. It will be holy. And Jacob, that is Israel, the people of God, will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph, this is also Israel, a flame. And Esau or Edom will be stubble and they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. There will be a holy place where there is no sin or rebellion against God. And God on that place will maintain a holy remnant of his people. Those who have escaped or the deliverers in our passage. And through them, God will restore his kingdom purposes and promises. 
and fulfill everything he said to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and David and others. A time is coming when the land will be restored as it was even when David and Solomon were king. So we read here in Obadiah, people from the Negev, this is a desert region, will occupy the mountains of Esau and people from the foothills of Israel will possess the land of the Philistines and they will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria and Benjamin will possess Gilead. The company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess as far the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. In other words, the land will be restored to Israel as promised. Now, under the Persian Empire and the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, in terms of how they considered Judah or Israel, parts of those areas did indeed come back to Israelite rule. But only ever under the great empire's authority. See, there was a short-term fulfilment. And yes, Edom in those days was no more a nation as Obadiah prophesied. But ultimately Obadiah's vision for the future, this day of the Lord, merges on the horizon and looks to a fulfilment far beyond that near-term fulfilment. The day when God once and forever and for all establishes his rule with no rebellion. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. God's kingdom. God's rule. Even over the mountains of Edom. And that's where Obadiah finishes his prophecy. God is going to re-establish his rule, his kingdom on the day of the Lord, even over Edom. If we go back to John's vision of the end in the book of Revelation, we read a lot about the day of the Lord there. There's actually a repeated cycle of sevens. John in his vision sees seven trumpets being sounded, which are seven acts of judgment leading to a final seventh trumpet and then there are seven, oh, first there's seven seals that are open, then there's seven trumpets and then there are seven bowls that are poured out. And in each one of those cycles of seven, the seventh day is the big wrap up. The seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, the seventh bowl. If we go and read about the seventh trumpet in Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 11, we come to this, the end the day of the Lord. Revelation 11, verse 15. Seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world, Edom, Babylon, everything where we are, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. 
And the 24 elders who were seated around the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven, this is Mount Zion, the heavenly Mount Zion where the temple is, God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder and earthquake and a severe hailstorm. Now everything in Revelation is not, not, not easy to just pick up and put in a nice neat package but can you see God's promises his temple his heavenly rule is it kind of exploding on the day when he establishes his rule over all the earth forever and ever the Lord is going to reign with his Messiah from the city of God Jerusalem where God's holy people this holy remnant will be reigning with him, saved by the blood of the Lamb. The great day of history, the day of the Lord, when the kingdom comes in its fullness. Now, God's special day, I said, it's not Christmas. But you know what? It kind of is Christmas. Luke chapter 1. An angel appears to Mary. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. God saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel promises when Jesus is to be born. Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about Mary's song. She says, I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. I'm going to be the one who gives birth to the one who will bring about the great reversal. When the humble are lifted up and the proud and the mighty are brought low. And then the baby is born. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today in the town of King David a saviour has been born to you he is the Messiah the Lord and this will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger see in a sense Christmas is the day of the Lord but not in its absolute fullness what about when Jesus began his ministry you know what Jesus said when he began publicly to minister as the Messiah, Mark chapter 1. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. God's kingdom is near with me. And the day of the Lord, I said Easter's not really quite the day of the Lord, but you know, 
God's special day, but it kind of is too, and even in a bigger way. There was a sign put on top of Jesus' cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. In John's Gospel, which we've been looking at this week, this year, the Jesus, when he's lifted up on that cross, that is his glory. He is lifted up as king for his people. Because when Jesus is lifted up on that cross, guess what? It's the day of the Lord because judgment falls against the world's rebellion. God acts in judgment against the world's rebellion. And he takes all of his wrath against these people who resist his rule, who, who, who are feeding on each other. He takes all of his wrath for those people and he pours it on his very son, the king. And judgment falls and it turns dark for three hours. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day when Jesus establishes his rule and defeats his enemies. The accuser has taken all grounds for accusation away. The great Satan. And God offers then forgiveness to his people so they can be holy, so they can escape the wrath to come. And when Jesus is raised on that Sunday, it's confirmation that he is Lord and that the new age of the kingdom has come. It has begun in the King. And the way is then opened up for all peoples, people of all nations, to be part of this new age, the people of God who have been cleansed and made holy through Jesus, who have been given new life through Jesus, who have, to use Paul's language in the book of Romans, we, I think most of us are not... It, direct descendants of Abraham. Most of us are not Jews. We can be grafted into God's promises to Abraham and to David and included amongst the people of God. Paul puts it like this in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 28. So, there is neither no longer Jew nor Gentile. That's us, Gentiles. There is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in the Messiah Jesus. If you belong to Christ, the Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed, Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. By faith in the Messiah, Jesus, the King And we live in a unique time, a time where it is possible to turn back to God. A time where it is possible to be forgiven and made holy in Jesus. We live in a time where God has given each one of us an opportunity to humble ourselves and say, I need a saviour. I am a rebel. I need forgiveness. I want to be part of the eternal kingdom. It's a time for repentance this moment because God has promised the day of the Lord fell on the cross but we live between the cross and the final great and terrible 
an awesome day of the Lord when Jesus returns and that time of repentance is over. That time for humbling is no more. God's given the opportunity for us to come back but he is going to clear the decks. When Jesus returns... We read about Revelation 19. Jesus comes as King of kings and Lord of lords, a rider on a white horse whose name is Justice and Truth and he is going to completely, in majestic power, overthrow his enemies and take the Satan and cast him into a lake of fire and bring in a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, the home of righteousness and he will establish an eternal reign with his people, that saved remnant who have put their faith in him. Last week I said, and I challenged, I was pretty blunt, maybe I'm being pretty blunt today too, that's Obadiah, I'm blaming him. Peno, I said last week, Peno is Edom. We follow the same patterns as that nation. We're proud, we trust in all the wrong things and we're going down and it's hopeless. But it's not hopeless because we have hope if we will come and put our faith in God's King and his work on the cross and be made in him holy. So my conviction in the light of Obadiah's prophecy is this. Peno is Edom, no, but it need not be. Peno can be Israel. Though humble, heirs of the promises of God. And my hope and prayer is that Peno is Israel. Is that we are people who have humbled ourselves and come to Jesus in the foot of the cross and said, forgive me, Lord. Make me new, Lord Jesus. I will follow you, Lord Jesus. And through him all the air promises to Abraham and David will fall upon us, the people of God. And though we be small, and though we be despised in our culture, and though as the years pass in our Western world we become increasingly despised in our culture, and it looks like there is no future and no hope for us, we are where the action is. And we live by faith. And we trust in the promises of God. And we serve and we love. And we hold out the precious, precious truths of the gospel. The day of the Lord is coming. It will be a day for all people. Those who feed on themselves will fall in on themselves. And God will save his people and he will give them a new kingdom where they will reign forever and ever, world without end. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm praying for that day. Come Lord Jesus. Come and take us home. Amen.